You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Really get close enough to see one another, and then you start finding yourself in the other one's story, right? And so that's what you guys are allowing me to do. You're inviting me in, and uh, we're getting deep real fast, and so I appreciate that. I feel comfortable doing that, you know, safe space, right? Yeah, now we're broadcasting to the world. What's up, bro? So y'all remember Roots? Roots, I told you, man, you're not going to see me much without my partner, Roots. Anybody remember the story? Who created him? Roots and what was significant about him? Happened to be a beautiful member of the least of these that you might have missed him. And for all I know, he was an angel because he's gone. I think I told you all that. I mean, what a connection that I have with this man that truly changed my life. And I don't know if he if he was an angel. Why do angels have to show up and then be gone to be an angel? How come angels can't stay down here for years? You know, kind of perpetrating homeless people. I believe they perpetrate prisoners. I know I've met some behind that wire. I'm positive. Why wouldn't they be there? Hanging out on corners, maybe people judging them. And yet Jesus said, however you treat the least of these is how you treat me. So that means do I show some love to that to that woman that looks like she might be a prostitute? You know, do I fully embrace and give my love to someone who's transgender, and love completely instead of with a filter. See, that's the beautiful thing that the prisons taught me is to love without agenda and to see people the way you want them to be. And if a brother's got American Nazi across his face, but the brother's changed and he started seeing his black brothers and sisters, well, brothers, differently, can you see past the tattoo? And see, that's the that's this ministry that God has trusted me with is to be able to preach. This is one of the rare times that I that I get to preach to a church. And I preach a lot. I preach, you know, every week for sure. But I get to preach outside of the church, which is something that God gave me that's so precious. I didn't know he was going to do that for me. And it's what I began to believe. Golly, they called me an evangelist for a long time. And I did almost all my preaching in the church. And so now, you know, this beautiful least of these ministry, he's allowed me to find my voice again. And it was it was them where Jesus promised he would be. And so it's been the greatest joy to learn how to connect with people that you don't see every week. Maybe you see them one time and you got to try to connect with them. What do you do when you're in the Ukraine <laughs> and you're doing a church tour and nobody knows you? And I'm, I'm riding with this other little crew. And these, you would think they were Catholic churches, but they're um, cooperative Baptist churches. But I mean, women sitting in the back, head covering, quiet, you know, very rigid. And all of a sudden they have this American preacher that looks like me. 
And in Ukraine, if you have any ink, you have done time. No way around it. Nobody has ink. These are beautiful people. <laughs> and I got long hair. The men don't wear long. I'm everything that they don't like. Loud, American, tatted up, long hair. And they think, oh, he's a prisoner. And I got to preach and I got to win now. Oh, it's a beautiful challenge. And to see them begin to come alive and you develop this and you got an interpreter and it's just beautiful dance. And then at the end, you know, you've won them. And the brother gets up and the, the old man that comes up after starts attacking America and calling the president the Antichrist and uh, telling the streets in, in New York right now are flooded with water and there's sharks swimming. This is, this is the closing of my message. <laughs> and it was because I got in front of those beautiful convicts week in and week out for so many years, thousands of them, that you learned how to connect with people. You know, and it was a blessing. And I couldn't learn that in all those years of full-time ministry. It was Paul's ministry. And I think about his his ministry was so unique. He was going to people that you weren't supposed to go to. It wasn't for them. Those were the others. Those were the less than. Gentiles are less than. And so the Jews were the chosen people. And everybody else outside of that was less than, and they got treated as if they were less than. If I've got to come and save you, then I'm already decided that I'm better than you and you need saving and I'm the one to do it. It's not right. And so Paul, he he won people because it said that he became all things to all people, to the Jew, a Jew, and the Greek, a Greek, and You know, to the prisoner, become the prisoner. He did that and sang songs to them. Paul had a prison ministry. He became all things to the Roman guard that got baptized, you know, that was assigned to him. Do you understand the gift? And that has been the ride. He didn't have a home church. Every time he got called back to Jerusalem, he was in trouble, and they were having a council. That's that story in my life. Every time the elders want to see me, I'm like, dang it, I did it again. Yeah, I'm that guy. He always had this little fierce band of brothers around him, and then they'd fall out and go different ways, and more guys would. He always had a band of brothers around him. And so he had this beautiful new ministry, and, and I thought, maybe I could do that. And he started letting me do that. And... I got to see some things that, I don't know, maybe everybody gets a shot, but I got to see bona fide miracles, and I still do. Rival gangs coming together in prisons and showing some genuine love and respect for one another. An Aryan Brotherhood giving a gangster hug to the black militant Muslim brother, Nation of Islam, an Aryan Brotherhood embracing in front of prisoners. and Talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about redemption on death row, that kind of stuff, one-on-one, in groups with these brothers that are the least of the least of these. Paul got to see things. And then he got to see behind the curtain, and he got a glimpse of heaven, and he got such a powerful (laughs) vision that God told him, you don't get to share about it. It's too wonderful. And so he got to see inexpressible things. God said, I don't want you to tell anybody. And so Paul was already given to conceit. 
he already struggled with that because he was so smart and he was so gifted. And he was the haves, not the have-nots. Everybody else was less than. He was a Pharisee, and that was his thing. And so to be able to see what God was going to show him and expect him not go back to conceit, that's hard for a brother like Paul. And so here's what he said. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Man, I love Paul. So he learned a secret that maybe I'm starting to glimpse just a little bit. You see great things when God opens your eyes. You start seeing things. But God knows when we need something, keep our feet on the ground. He knows my tendency back in the day when it was all about me. He knows what I'm capable of. And so he does in his wisdom. He sends Paul a thorn, a messenger of Satan to torment him. God sent him. Right. And whatever it was, Paul didn't want it. He pleaded three times, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient. But then he said, my power is made perfect in weakness. Because when you're weak, then you're strong because my power strengthens you, right? And so Paul goes, therefore, now I boast about my weaknesses. And I delight in my struggles because it keeps me weak. And when I'm weak, I'm really strong. We can do some great things for him. It's the, it's the secret, the power made perfect in weakness, the broken vessel. And so, man, I was scared for everybody to know my real deal back in the day. I was just a wounded young dude that got in the ministry way too fast, and I was still thirsty. And I was still beat up from some family stuff and the way my dad died and just, you know, being a knucklehead. And I was young and I was ambitious and I was talented and I got put in the ministry quick and I raised up and I ain't mad at anybody anymore. I was for a minute, but it was me. I wanted it. I wanted that next promotion, man. I needed it to make me feel good about me. And see, that's a dangerous cocktail for a ministry. It's unsustainable. And so I ran out of gas and I just, I lost my heart and I gave up and I resigned like a bunch of brothers did when things started tumbling a little bit, but really I'd lost my heart. And I went through some things that I brought on myself and it got me to a real self-pity stage. And that's when I hit my bottom and I was wrestling with how God made me and I was hating parts of myself. How come I got to be an addict? 
why can't I hang out with the guys and just have a few beers like everybody else when all the brothers are doing that? You know, how come I got to be made like this where I can't be satisfied with six? I think 12 is better. You know, one more day, one more hour, one more hit, one more lick, whatever it is, one more. Why do I got made, made like that? Maybe somebody feels that a little bit. One speed. <laughs> I'm trying to save the world or I'm trying to wreck it. That's all I do. And so it's not a matter of am I going to be hooked on something. It's what am I going to be hooked on? Because I get hooked on whatever makes me feel good. And see, when I tasted that the Lord was good, I got hooked. And that was a good thing until it started to slip. See, I was trying to be so strong. And I didn't want to be weak in front of y'all. I wanted y'all to be impressed because I was like the powerful, talented speaker, young guy, when young guys were being raised up. And see, I wanted to be so strong, and I was afraid to be weak. And that was the secret that I was missing, because then it became about me, and it became about not trusting some of the other brothers that being raised up, or why didn't I get chosen for that intergalactic conference that we're having, or whatever we call them, you know? Shoot. They brought me in. I was just happy. You know, I just wanted to be whatever. I was an usher, man. I found it. And then all of a sudden, Bible talk. I want to do a Bible talk. It was like, I'm Bible talk leader. (laughs) Whoa, that was a big deal. And then there were zones. And I was like, that'd be kind of cool, a zone leader. That just sounds cool. So I got that. And now I'm getting hungry for it. I'm like, sector leader sounds even cooler. And now, and get me. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm embellishing. This is internal stuff that I'm not aware of. You can't repent of something that you ain't aware of. It was subtle. And then it was like region leader. Check. Super region leader. I ain't laughing. Yeah, I am. I'm laughing about it. So I'm sorry. I ain't mad. I just think it's interesting. I was all over it, though. It's super. I want that one. And then it was like... (laughs) Geographic sector leader, man, I had my eye on that one. WSL, L. <laughs> no, I didn't want that one. I didn't want that. Oh, oh, snap. This is being like live stream. Well, they're going to have another council and invite me to Jerusalem. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I'm sorry, Steve. It was going so well. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so here's the deal. What's your thorn? Okay, now, did it pop into your head? Might take a second. What's that thing that just nags you? It it still owns you. A, A character thing, a moral defect, a genetic thing. You know, what is it that if this thing were released, that you would soar? It's the thing that keeps chopping you down every time you finally grow up. With me, it was this addiction thing and the things that came along with it. You know, it's a depressant. And those that have actually ever been depressed know that it's not something that they want to hear a well-meaning brother or sister say, just pray more. 
you know, just kind of come out of it. You know, you're awesome. You got to believe that. And it comes from a real place. But please don't do that. Because if you've ever experienced it, like it knocked me on my back. You know, when I was tumbling before I quit the ministry, it came on me. I got the gift of gab. I can tap dance if I'm not having a good day as a preacher. Man, I experienced a panic attack in front of 1,500 people. I'd never had one. Now, it was one of those slight things, man. I mean, things were slipping. But I was holding it together, man. I could still preach. And all of a sudden, I just ran out of things to say. And I couldn't catch where I was at. And I just couldn't even finish. I just said some things and then split. And some, you know, people, go check on him. Make sure he's all right. So it it revealed itself publicly. <laughs> then the depression came. And see, that's something that you don't want. It's like, this is not what I want. You know, my, my life came apart. I cursed it. And so understand, I'm hating I'm hating, I'm hating a part of my nature. God created me wonderfully. And he knit me together. And that means my brain, too. I don't like labels. Labels divide us. We judge people based on labels. Because if I say addict, alcoholic, without even meaning to, you're like, oh, I, because we have an idea what that like. Depression, anxiety, bipolar, obsessive, compulsive, manic, depressed, ADHD, can't, I mean, there's labels. I don't like them. I believe that we have fascinating brains. And they have differences. And we've got to learn to manage those. That's why we talk about the brain. Remember Uncle G? Why? Because I need to manage my brain because I'm built a little different. I care about things a little more. Things taste a little better. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm just built like I care about things passionately. I ain't afraid to die for what I believe in. It's like he made me that way. And I thought that was a curse. And then I figured this out. That thorn was sent to me by my daddy because he knows my nature and I'm quick to rely on me. And so Paul, we don't know, was he blind from his encounter with Jesus? Was he so mangled by beaten with rods and flogged five times? Do you remember how Jesus was torn up by one? Paul was hard to look at, stoned and left for dead, Nights in the ocean, going without food, he's scarred. He's been stoned, beaten with rods, flogged multiple times. He was hard to look at, but there was something that came with all of that that he felt was keeping him from being what God wanted him to be. Take it away and I'll do much better for you. Make me the way I was. I was strong, man. Make me like that guy. And so many times we want to go back. How come I can't have my first love? And we think of how young and excited and not jaded, you know, everything was just black and white, perfect, you know. And then life happened along the way. And we want to get back to that. And we don't realize that, oh, no, God's doing, he's, he's right here. This is it, man. Life has brought you to this point right here. And dealing with that thorn is the thing. 
Because, see, I had to make peace with my thorn. But here's where we get in trouble. If I identify with my thorn and I say, I am an alcoholic, I am is a powerful sentence. However you finish that little short sentence defines you in the present moment and attaches God to it because that's his name. What's your name? I am. That's my name. So however you finish that little sentence, you're defining yourself and putting God's name on it. I'm tired. I'm sick. I'm broke. I am. Be careful. Because we're defining ourselves. So if I am an alcoholic, no, I don't say that. If I go to a meeting and I protect the anonymity, (laughs) you're supposed to get up and say that, you know. And I'll just say, you know, my name's Kit, and I'm recovering knucklehead. <laughs> I get hooked on whatever makes me feel good. Glad to be here. I'm not going to define myself by a label. Because then I've got to live out that life. The thorn wasn't Paul. The thorn was separate from Paul. So I want you to think about your biggest thing for you. What is it that has you and calls you when it wants you? you got to understand that's not you. You don't have to hate yourself because that's not you. The thorn is not you. You're perfect. You're made in the image of the king, not the snake. Do you hear that? So why are we always thinking we're under this curse? I understand the fall of man. I get it. Don't Nobody email me with scriptural, you know, think I've just lost his way. I'm made in his image. Wonderfully made, knit together, perfect to serve my purpose in my generation, whatever that is. The meaning of life is to find your unique gift. And the purpose in life is give it to the world because I've got it. Well, guess what my gift is? My thorn? Addiction is a gift. Take everything the devil taught you and go and use it against him. Because I roll with him. Oh, yeah. Understand his schemes, right? He's trying to get you to identify with your thorn and believe you are the thorn. And if he can get you to believe you're made in his image, he's got it because he can keep you down with shame and guilt and self-loathing instead of saying, ah, (laughs) it's from you. And it keeps me from wanting to be a little God. It keeps me humble. And it keeps me relying on my daddy. Paul quickly went, therefore, I'm going to boast about my thorn. And don't try to take it from me because now it's valuable. You're not going to get my thorn. He pleaded with God to take it away. And then he started boasting about it. What if you, now this is radical. What if you start loving your shadows? I call the diction. A dark passenger. He just rides with me. He ain't me. And see, I can hate him and it strengthens him. And then he starts getting all up in my business. You know, he's got a loud voice and that's the temptation that comes with addiction. You can be addicted to chocolate, computer screens, devices, gambling, shopping, porn prescription meds, alcohol, illicit drugs, rage, anything that produces dopamine in the brain. Okay, so don't just, it's not just meth and, 
you know, alcohol and heroin. It's whatever we want to stop and can't. Let's just call that. I want to stop something I can't. Let's just call that an addiction. Do I hate it or do I love it? Jesus loved death and it became life. He loved the sin away. Because light, you shine love and light. Now this scares us because if I, if I love my addiction, I'm going to go wild. Love doesn't do that. See, love, it transforms. And when I started loving on my dark passenger, quit hating on myself and start praising God that you made me like this. And I love you, too, because you know what you did, Thorne? You helped me rely on God. And I learned the power of weakness. So thank you so much. Now you can get in the back seat. And then he gets out of the conversation. He gets real little. I can't remember the last time I was thirsty. 10, 15 years ago, I'm not tempted to drink. God took it away. If you struggle with that, I got to give you hope tonight. He can take it away. Now, I had to go through a lot of steps to do that. I did go to a well-known 12-step recovery program, and I did fully submit to a brother that I didn't know, that didn't look like me, and let him teach me. Took me through the 12 steps. So I put in my work. Don't think I prayed a little prayer and God just took it away. No, I had to to wrestle just like Jacob did. Get me a new name. To see if I start believing that I am worthy because I'm made in his image. And this passenger called addiction or called depression, called whatever it is, it's very valuable. So much so that we'll protect it. Because I want to stay weak so he can stay strong. See, it makes sense, right? The least of these, I just want to touch on this. Jesus said it. He said, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. Okay? He didn't say it's kind of like, you know, it's, he said, no, it's, you want to know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be with them. And however you treat them, you treat me because I'm one of them. Jesus was the least of these. He was dirt poor and came from a place where people found out where he was from. They made fun of him. Wrong side of town, wrong town. Manual labor, poor people had to offer pigeons at the temple because they couldn't afford the greater sacrifice. Why Jesus always gravitate to the least of these? Because he was the least of these. Those were his people. And he also understood that they're more real than the people that judge them. They're more honest. You know who the honest, the the real honest people in my life are? Those beautiful convicts. They got no reason to lie to me. Why are they going to lie to me? Tell me the truth. I can trust a gang leader. Tell me the truth. He ain't got no reason to lie to me. We got a lot of reasons to lie. And so if I start, well, the least of these, they're transformative. We need them more than they need us. And I always would preach about this, and I wasn't even doing it. I mean, I can't believe I used to do that. Preach on Matthew 25 when I wasn't out doing it, and then pull some lesson out there. I, you know, I've dealt with the shame of it, but I look back and I'm like, wow, what was I thinking? 
that should have been off limits for me to preach because I'd never experienced it. See, but now when I preach about the sheep and the goats, man, the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the stranger and the sick and the prisoner, the least of these, Jesus he said, however you treat them is how you treat me. I don't care about all the other stuff you do. Christianity boiled down to one thing. How do you treat people? Okay. So I want you to think about someone who's an addict. Someone who's dealing with mental health issues. They're hungry for relationships. Many are thirsty because of an addiction. They're sick because addiction affects the brain, and that's where we make decisions. They're strangers because they feel like nobody understands them. They're naked because they feel exposed, and they're afraid for anybody to get close. Why? Because there's shame and stigma around people that suffer from addiction and mental health issues. So I just said the least of these are a precious part of every ministry. Precious part. Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was sick, you tended to me. And then he said, when I was in prison, you came to visit me. He didn't say you came to convert me. You came to save me. You came to counsel me. You came to disciple me. You came to turn me around. He said, no, you came to visit with me. You know, when the phone stops ringing, it's hard. Because when I went through my foolishness, brought that on myself, found myself out there alone, disconnected, the phone stopped ringing. People didn't know what to say, so they didn't say anything. And on my ride or die, I wouldn't hear them from them. And so I got to experience how I had made other people feel that I wasn't taken care of when I was the, the shepherd. And now all of a sudden I'm out there by myself and I'm experiencing the silence and the loneliness just drinking, wishing somebody would. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. People that are trapped in this addictive thing, it's not your fault, but it is your problem. Those that are experiencing what a lot of people are, anxiety and depression in this crazy world, it's not your fault, but it is your problem. So when we have one out of ten, so however big your church is, do the math, it's eerie like that. One out of ten of us are built a little different. One out of five of us struggle with some sort of a, a bit of an imbalance or a, a disconnection. Do you understand how much of the church that is? But people suffer in silence because they're going to be judged or labeled. And we don't mean to do that. So the, the question is, okay, those that have, have wandered away or are really struggling and disengaged because this is an isolating disease. You want to know what you need to do? Go visit with them. 
That's it. You don't even have to say a word. I just want to be here with you. So hold their hands. You ain't got to disciple them. <laughs> Whatever, whenever, that's going to sit with them. That's all they need. Maybe they'll start opening up. And when they do, just listen. And if they don't open up, just sit with them. And if they give you plenty of room to try to fix them, don't do it. Just sit with them and say, I don't know how you feel, but I want to know. We start to heal broken relationships. This is how churches can come back together. Sit with one another. You know, love one another. It's pretty simple. And so this thing, this 40 days of prayer, it's basically just trying to reconnect or connect for the first time some things in your brain that allow you to start to see things differently. And you begin to hear things that you hadn't been listening to. And you begin to see things that we start saying are miracles. In this project, I love it when we take a word and we change the energy of it. Miracles, kind of like Red Sea parting, right? Lazarus come out. And those are, those are miracles, right? But what about the little things that are not little? God intervening in human affairs is a miracle. Albert Einstein said, everything's a miracle or nothing is. I choose the former. So I started seeing that everything is a miracle, and I started using that word because it was. When I need an idea and the perfect one shows up, he got involved. When I'm praying for somebody and they ain't reached out for a long time and all of a sudden a text shows up, he got involved. Write that down. I started journaling about all the places I'd see God. And then I started asking him for just stupid, specific things. Like I wanted to go to Ukraine. And go to a Russian prison. And that was just my desire. Because I saw it on YouTube. <laughs> Jordan, I'm a little weird. But I'm like, I ain't been to a Russian prison, right? And so I just put it out there. I didn't beg him. I, it was a heart desire. It's all it was. I get a call. That somebody, hey, we're in trouble. Our speaker just got ill. <laughs> Are you free Wednesday? I know it's short term. And I was like, yeah, this is a corporate client. And I said, I'm free. And they said, thanks. Okay. It was a, you know, banquet event, real cool holiday thing. And so I came and I, I spoke and I talked about my prison work, obviously, because I got it. That's what I, I just talk about with the most powerful thing going on that I'm experiencing now. I used to tell stories about things I did a long time ago. It's different when you have some fresh something. And so Afterwards, people lined up and they were, I was like signing books and stuff. And up walked a little gentleman. He's very small, interesting looking little fella. And I said, how do you do? And he said, hello, my name is Leonid. And I went, it's good to meet you, sir. Where are you from? I am from Moscow. And I said, whoa, okay, that's cool. I said, how are you here? And he told me his son was coming to the banquet. And then the speaker got ill. Sorry. But he got ill to provide room for me to come and talk about the prison. And this was that dude's father who he called him up and said, hey, this new kid speaking, you got to, he's a trip. 
And so this man that wasn't supposed to be there and a speaker who wasn't supposed to be there are standing in front of one another, and he's from Russia. I have a question. I said, what can I do for you? I would like to know if you would go into a Russian prison. And I went, shut up. I'm not lying. Somebody out there saying it's not true. It's true. And I said, yes. And he went, you don't understand. I myself have never been in Russian prison. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but if you get me in, I'll go. You still don't understand. I can't find any American that will go with me. To, and I'm like, I'm, I'm in. And I didn't have to hear anything else. We made friends. And we did it. We went in, you know, went to Ukraine. And that's when we did all those crazy church things. But we also did a prison. It had to be, I mean, how do you explain that away? It's God connecting the dots in human affairs. And, and if you start watching, you'll see these connections that are just, they're electric. And I was missing them, man. And I, w- I had seen things for so long the same way. I was trapped in a box and it suffocated me. I don't know if anybody's ever been suffocated by a box. And so now I get to go and, you know, I think the thing that's connected us probably is that I've shared about my thorns. And hopefully we can just, we can do that. But I'll leave you with this. The question after day 21, which is I think you guys are on, right, is, well, I'll leave it. I love the questions because they reveal the heart. Jesus didn't do a lot of preaching. I mean, he did, but one-on-one he asked questions, and then he told stories. Matthew 9, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Do you believe I'm able to do this? So you're one thing, that thorn. You know what it is. So you should by now. If you don't, you know, ask the person that knows you the best. They'll tell you what it is. And so once you've got that, and it, it's something you hadn't been able to shake, Whatever it is, fear, guilt, shame, unforgiveness. You can't truly forgive somebody. You can't forgive yourself. What's your thing, your heartache? The thing you're afraid of getting your heart broken about. If we live our life afraid to get our heart broken, man, we just live in fear and we miss out on so much. Broken hearts, we can do that. So your one thing, do you believe he is able to do this? It could be somebody else that you're just, I mean, you need a miracle. And it's much like that man that said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The man wanted his his son was suffering and he was scared to death. And he finally gets to the right situation. Perfect. The demon, you know, the epilepsy throws him down and, you know, it's trying to. 
And Jesus just looks at him and says, how long has he been like this? And he says, you know, all his life. And so Jesus basically, the guy says, if you can do anything, he said, if I can, everything's possible for him who believes. And he said the word and he was healed. But the man said, I, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What's the thing that you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I die for you. But I don't think you can do this. If we can get honest about what that thing is. See, that's what this 40 days of prayer is about. I lost my heart and I lost my ministry. I was disqualified and I was ashamed. And I did not want to see you. Because of that shame and humiliation, the public fall. And God was going to do a thing. Like, do I believe that he is able to give me my heart back, my voice back, my life back, love back? How he brought love into my life. And I thought I was damaged goods. And I, I thought I'd never have intimacy. I'm talking about true spiritual, physical, emotional, mental intimacy with a woman. I didn't think I could. And he gave me that most amazing miracle of my life. And he's done all of these things. And what if I'd have been in my deepest, darkest, and I just didn't believe he was able. And he sent me to a bunch of homeless dudes. He did it like that. And I always like to close this little, oh, Christ. Oh, 24, I'm still good. 8.30 is my deal, all right? I didn't have a ministry, and I know you've told me that, um, I've told you this, but Ben Barnett was my Barnabas. And so he took me in when nobody was wanting to do that. And he's the one that gave me the charge, go out into the world, find out what God's up to, and come back and tell us. And so first move I made was to go to the homeless shelter. And I went in and just tried to worm my way in, which is what I always do, make some friends, worm my way in. And so I did, and they kept saying no. And we don't have any slots, you know, and I'm like, I just want to serve. Let me do a little Bible study or something. So finally, they're like, okay, four o'clock on Tuesdays, you can go in the chapel, but nobody is awake. <laughs> Nobody's going to come. And I said, give me that. And so I came and the first day I ever, it was Arthur and Kenny and, and uh, David, three homeless dudes sitting there. I didn't know who they were. I preached to them like I was preaching to 3,000. I was preaching again. Three brothers. And they were beautiful. We, we became friends. And three became six and then 12. And then finally, I mean, we were rocking. We had Wednesday nights. They gave me the, well, this little place closed down. They moved all those residents downtown. And they said, Mr. Cummings, we're sorry. Now we really don't have any room for you. You know, we got too many, you know, volunteers, whatever. And I just kept at him, kept at him. Finally, they said, okay, you can have the chapel at 8 o'clock, but they have church at 7, so they're going to be done. They're going to go back to their rooms. And I said, I'll do it. And so I went in there, and we started preaching, and guys started staying. We had a 100 brothers, and we had church every Wednesday night. I wasn't going to midweek with y'all. I was going hanging with the homeless brothers, and Ben Barnett was cool with it. I wasn't doing much of anything but going to prison and going with these guys. So these dudes start showing up, and they would walk all the way to our church, which is downtown. 
and we start having whole rows of homeless guys, and some of them been up all night doing whatever they're doing. I come on, kid, and I'd have to say Isaiah. And it's like 750 people, you know, not a huge church, but a church. And they were beautiful. They started taking up whole rows. And we made a choir. And so I went to the, the director of this big homeless thing, and I said, can, uh, can we take our choir to our church? And they looked at all, and they said, fine, yes, if they're in this level and they're trustees, you can take them. So we had this choir. And I called a brother who has a limo company and got this gull wing macked out stretch limo to pull up in front of the place. And all of our choir, about 10 or 12 guys, just homeless dudes, we uh, <laughs> come out and they're like, ooh, whose is that? And I was like, it's yours. The gull wings opened up. And those guys got in and they rode all the way down to Ben's church. It was a long way away. People looking in that thing saying, man, I wonder who's in there. The least of these were in there. The last shall be first. God's going to use the lowly, despised things of this world to shame the wise, the religious. So these judged men, we pull up in front of the church. Wings pull up. They get out and they like, some of them have sunglasses on and they're walking like they are somebody. And they're walking in a row and they come all the way down and we set them down. It came to their part in the service. <laughs> and they get up and they're all very serious. The church is all fired up. They sang their song. They were horrible. I mean, just horrible. And it was beautiful. The church, they made them do an encore. And it was even worse because they hadn't practiced this much. They had nobody on tune, but they sang with all their hearts, and they got standing ovation. They were treated, and then they walked out like they walked in. They didn't fellowship with anybody, got back in their stretch. They were treated like kings. See, the least of these, they changed my life. The least of these are in your church, too. And however you treat the person in your church that's the most lonely, that's how you treat Jesus. The one that's the most addicted, how you treat that brother and sister, that's how you treat Jesus. The least of these are among us, and some are angels, and we don't even know it. Do you believe he's able to do this this week? Oh, yeah. Bring some faith into it and say, if he can do this crazy, oh, he knows about your thing. And you're his special project. And if you open your eyes, you'll see signs all around you that he's all over you. He's stalking you like he does me. So I love you guys, man. Thanks for listening to my rambling. And uh, thanks for adopting me. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.